Never met a microphone I didn't like. How's everybody doing? <laughs> this is the Nashville South by panel. We're pumped that you guys are here. This is really exciting. This is lessons learned in country music. Really, though, this is just lessons learned by living and working in Nashville. Anybody here live in Nashville? Who lives in Nashville? Anyone been to Nashville? Okay, so like you guys know what this is about. You know how good it is and what we're going to be talking about. My name is Zach. I run a country music trade publication. It's called The Nashville Briefing. You can check it out, nashvillebriefing.com. And we've put together an amazing panelist, uh, panel of panelists who are impacting the culture in Nashville quite literally. And they're quite literally impacting the business in Nashville. And they know where the bodies are buried. So this is going to be a great panel. I'm really excited to get into it. I'm going to kick it off to them so they can tell you a little bit about, about who they are. And then we're going to dive into it. Sound good? Let's do it. Rachel, you want to start us off all the way at the end? I'll, I'll start. Um, is my mic on? Yeah, there it is. Thank you, Laura. Um, my name is Rachel Whitney. I am the head of editorial for Nashville at Spotify. Uh, my team covers country, Christian and gospel, rock and alternative, and folk and roots music. And uh, my career has really been all in the digital space. I, next year will be my 20th year in Nashville. So, yeah. Charlene? Hi, I'm Charlene Bryan. I'm an artist manager. I got my start at um, actually in the Christian and gospel space. And then I did hip hop. I managed Trippy Red for three years. And now I'm in the country space, so I like to tell people I went from righteous to ratchet to now Wranglers. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Vipin Reddy. Um, I'm director of streaming marketing at Universal Music Group Nashville. Um, and I've been at Universal for about six years now. And I've been in Nashville for about the same amount of time. Amazing. Okay, we're going to dive right in. We're going to get into it. Rachel, when Zach. <laughs> you became the head of editorial for Spotify in Nashville, was there some kind of playbook from Spotify? Or was, were you able to look at other departments and figure out what had to be done? Or did it have to be, did you have to create it, you know, make it work for Nashville and for the Nashville market? So... What's interesting about my journey through the streaming space is I've actually been the first person to have every job that I've had since 20, 2007, 2011, because I went to, I went back to school um, for a couple years. So the job that I had was brand new for Spotify, but I've been doing a very similar job previously at Pandora and then at YouTube. The cool thing that I got to do at Spotify, which made the move really worthwhile, was I got to build a team. And Spotify has really always invested in, I think, the, the like, real needs of cultural curation, right? It's like genres are going to come and go. They're going to kind of rise and fall. Um, but Spotify has always made sure that we have real cultural experts in place to make sure that we're connecting music with listeners. Um, so it was fun to come in because that was already set up, you know, um, and I got to come into a space where uh, the the team really prioritized new music and new artists, independent music, um, and uh, and just grow it like I'd like I'd really been trying to do in the past in a way that I had not had the resources to do before. Was there still at that point when you came in, everyone was pretty bought into Spotify? Because originally, when Spotify came into Nashville, people were like, you know, they were unsure about. It. But at that point, it was you know, did you feel like Spotify was already integrated into the community? Yeah, you know, and I'll give um, John Marks, our original country editor, a lot of credit for that. I think 
originally when Spotify launched in and and started building an office in Nashville, people were really skeptical. You know, I'm, I don't have to tell anyone here that like you know the the origins of Napster and and all of that. It was really really hard on on country music in particular because the fans didn't quite pick up on the new formats very quickly. And um, when John came in to Spotify, he was really able to bring his reputation with him as someone who really cared about music, and people understood what he did, and then they were able to say, oh, well, if, you, if that's what you do, then that's what you do here, and, and we can get on board with that. So. Makes sense. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Charlene, you spent the first, the first part of your career was working country music and Christian music, and then you started managing Trippy Red because you met him in Ohio, and you've said on podcasts that when you first met him, he was in boxers playing video games. Yes. And, but he went up to change, and he came downstairs, and you said, that guy's a star. Yeah, it was like he levitated. He it levitated was, down yeah, the he stairs. he levitated down the stairs. So making the transition at that point from an entire career in country music going into hip-hop, was it, did you know how to do, did you know where the bodies were buried in hip-hop? How did you figure out... You know, what did you learn in country music and Christian music that you were able to take and manage a hip-hop artist? Well, the biggest thing that I learned in Christian music um, was <laughs> the budgets are much smaller in Christian and gospel. It's like you're given like a dollar for marketing, and 50 cents has to go to Jesus. So you have 50 cents for a marketing plan. That's a plan. tax, yeah. <laughs> 50 cents is used for the marketing plan. So when I went to hip-hop, and they were like, well, we have... $75,000 for a video. I was like, $75,000? I can get five videos for $75,000. So a lot of the things that I learned mostly in the Christian and gospel space was to do a lot with a little, um, a lot of bartering. And I remember um, the biggest single that I worked on with Trippy was Miss the Rage with featuring Playboy Cardi. And TikTok was, the influencer boom was really a thing. And I remember the label being like, oh my God, these influencers, they want, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and we have to pay so many of them and it's going to be $100,000 campaign, da, 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 da. And I was like, listen, they're Trippy Red fans, right? They were like, yeah. And I was like, so let's just invite them backstage at the concert in exchange for them to post. And they were like, that's genius. I'm like, that's what we would do in Christian and Gospel because we have 50 cents for a marketing plan. And that's what you do because the fans are so... That's literally what, what happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we found out, you know, through that, like, um, Dixie D'Amelio was one of his biggest fans, and she's also one of the biggest influencers on TikTok. So there were things that I was like, okay, if you do this for us, we'll do this for you. You know what I mean? So it, it's about finding creative ways. So that was probably starting out in Christian and gospel, then going over to hip-hop, and then like now coming to country. That's been the biggest cheat code that I think that I've had, and the blessing is just learning to do a lot with a little. Did you have the contacts in hip-hop, or having a massive artist, did that open a lot of doors to reach out and have people respond to you? Because I find sometimes reaching out as someone who lives in Nashville, sometimes people are really responsive to it, and sometimes they kind of write you off. They're like, well, I'm doing this in L.A. or New York or whatever it is. Did you experience that at all, or was it easy to navigate? The thing that I love about Nashville is the community, right? So, like, I've known Rachel. I've known Emily Cohen at Amazon. I, know, I knew all the DSP partners because at the time, Christian and gospel and country was overlapping at the DSPs. And so when they found out I was stepping into the hip-hop space, they were so excited, they gave me the contacts at the partners 
for all the DSPs as well as like, we're going to champion you in those other places. So that's the one thing, I, again, that I love about Nashville. It's such a community. And they were like, we're watching you. We're going to root for you. And we want you to be successful in hip hop. And if it was because I had those strong relationships already and laid that foundation that I was able to just seamlessly move over into a different genre and be incredibly successful. So thank you. Here for you. Anytime. I love that. Okay, Vipin, we're coming to you. You work with some of the biggest artists in the world at Universal, and you're pitching them constantly to DSPs, Apple, Pandora. When you work with the biggest names, Carrie Underwood, you know, the superstars in our genre, do they kind of playlist themselves, and is it just about being organized? Or at that level, do you still have to get really creative and hustle in order to tell their story for their new project and make them stand out in the marketplace? Yeah, um, definitely still have to get creative and hustle for sure. Um, something we always say too is it's almost harder to market big A-list superstars because they have such a brand around them. And especially an art artist like Carrie Underwood or Keith Urban, um, you know, when they were really, really, you know, releasing like a lot of their newer music, streaming wasn't really a thing yet. Um, so now, you know, Carrie's on, you know, 10th or 11th album and streaming is the main driver of revenue and to find fans and new fans. So with artists like that, we're, we're definitely having to get a lot more creative about pitching and kind of putting the effort forward of making sure that their brand, and, and for a lot of these artists, their brands go beyond music too. Um, even an artist like Casey Musgraves, who's almost, you know, just an A-list celebrity in general, not just a musician. So it's really trying to find their um, kind of like ecosystems and avenues on streaming. Whereas with newer artists, you know, we're really able to develop them on streaming so we can use the data we're getting from streaming services, from playlists, things like that, to see where their fans are. Um, like an artist that we've done that recently with is this artist named Parker McCollum out of Texas, where we're really developing him um, into a real, like, a, hopefully a mainstream country artist going from Tex the Texas red dirt scene to mainstream, um, and how we're able to do that with a newer artist who's really developing on a streaming platform entirely is we just have research everywhere, data points everywhere that we can use to help market these artists, newer artists across across the board. So for all for kind of like more established acts, it's definitely um, we'd still have to put the effort forward to figure out how to brand them on on these platforms. Is it harder or is there more pressure because there's so much more at stake? Or is it actually harder? Um, a little bit of both, I think, yeah. Um, it's I think it's harder in that, you know, for an artist like Carrie Underwood, let's say, we really want to find new fans for them, too. Um, and, you know, when she released her first album, there really was maybe one streaming service out there, and now there's way more than that. So um, it's really kind of like trying to find her avenue. I mean, the stakes are definitely a lot higher, too, with, with an artist at that level. Um, but I think it's, it's a little bit of both, for sure. So will you sit down with the team, and will you guys discuss about what's the narrative or what's the talking points, or what are we trying to get across here? And then does everybody get on the same page? And is that what you use when you're going out and pitching partners and yeah. talking to partners? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it happens. Um, so our, so my team specifically at, at the label um, is the streaming marketing team. So when we're setting up an album, um, we'll sit down months in advance and kind of figure out, okay, here are you know the 10 or 15 songs we know are on the album. We'll listen through them all and kind of figure out, um, all right, this, this one song makes sense for the first single. This song makes sense for a track we released two months before the album comes out. Um, for album release week, we want to really focus on this specific song because we think it'll really appeal to fans, and that's the one we want to pitch for things like New Music Friday. Um, 
so we'll really sit down and kind of strategize on like the narrative of the album, um, where the songs are taking us. And it really all starts with the songs and the artist and, and what they're trying to say with the project. But then we'll take what we're given and we'll usually meet with the artist as well and kind of get their direct commentary and, and story. And then we'll take it from there, knowing that background and the creative background and really go hard with the pitching and pulling as much data as we can and making a case for where some of the music can live. Um, and, and country too, right now, um, there's so many different kinds of country and it's it's you know like there's so many subgenres and so we'll really try to figure out okay for this for this project is there like a country rock song is there a country pop song more acoustic song things like that okay so you have these meetings with the label you come up with the story this narrative this whole thing here's the songs we're going to pitch this is what we want for new music friday boom we're running okay rachel now it's all in the system and it's been uploaded into the dsps into spotify what happens there? Because this seems so overwhelming to me. I can't, I can't keep up with this. Welcome to the last eight years of my life. Of, of Rachel's life. So how does this happen? How do you keep this organized? What's the process? What's the flow? How does song go from upload to playlist? Yeah. So first I want to make sure we're talking right now just about new music, which is only a part of what we do. So the way that we kind of treat this is almost like a newspaper. And publish date is midnight on Thursday night. So Eastern time, which is also very important to keep in mind. And it just changed this week. Why is it? Um, wait, it changed to what? Well, um, uh, the daylight oh, savings oh, time. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah. changed. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Why is Eastern time the center of the universe? Because it, it, is it that way everywhere? Who knows? Exactly. It just is. It, okay. New York. I don't know. York, Here we 11 are. 11 p.m. Central for all the national folks. <laughs> right, exactly. National Central time. <laughs> that should be the... the yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, and we actually program it by GTC, UTC? I don't know. There's like a global time. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So um, she's saying Greenwich Mean Time, and so we have to keep track of like, because our daylight savings time changes, but Greenwich doesn't right. do that. So um, anyway, so if you think about it kind of like a newspaper, Monday morning, we all wake up. We're trying to figure out, okay, what's important? And thankfully, I have an extraordinary team who really takes on the bulk of this responsibility um, for the genres that they represent. And they're starting to listen through, like, the top priorities. We figure out, you know, what we want to pitch for New Music Friday, what we want to pitch for new releases. We're really going through the pitch tool. We're going through... Um, you know, everything we know about what's coming out that week, but, but really the new music is coming to us through this pitch tool. Um, we also rely heavily on our artists and label partnerships teams to communicate with folks like Vipin to make sure that we're keeping up with the list of important releases, uh, make sure we're not missing anything. Um, listening through those songs, then Tuesday we're starting to do some of that pitch work, getting through some meetings. Wednesday, we really dive in and try to listen to as much music as possible. And this is where like, it's really important to me and my team and, and the whole global Spotify editorial team really to try and really dive in. Like one of the things that I tell, if anybody's watched The Crown, there's a part where they tell, um, the king tells Elizabeth to turn the stack upside down. That's where I'm like, turn the stack upside down. Go listen to the music that's coming out this week that has no listeners. That, and Because that's we kind of get to see it sorted by popularity. So I'm like, go listen to the stuff that like no one's heard of these people before. And make sure that we're giving everybody a chance, that we're listening to things that, you know, maybe don't have a lot of um, pre-existing history. And then, and then Thursday, it's like a mad dash to the finish line. We're programming music. We're trying to keep all the playlists updated. One of the hardest things that we do, honestly, every week is trying to figure out what should come out. 
Um, I think there's this there's this uh, difference between maybe how music has been programmed traditionally and and what we do, where you're looking at, um, you know, what's the great song? You know, where's the you got to like find the best songs, and that's really not our not our problem. Like we have a lot of really amazing music that comes out every single week. The problem is like, okay, well then, how do you decide what comes off? Because it's all really good, and a lot of times, yeah, it's really tough. Um, so you know, spend Thursday making a lot of those really tough decisions, and then um, everything goes live. Thursday night, and along with, you know, we do, I'm sure everyone's familiar with some of our playlist covers that have artists on the cover, so that's part of the process as well, and then, um, and then it goes live on Friday morning, and then some people are happy, and some people are not happy, and we do our best to, to make sure the listener gets to hear all the great new music, so. Without getting too much into how the sausage is made, is the team literally, like, in a conference room debating, no, that should go in, or that should go in, or is it more individual? So it's really, um, when you think about how much music comes out of every week, it's really a skeleton crew. I mean, there are some markets where we might have one editor for a whole country. Um, and, and in the U.S., we have, you know, editors based on genres, and then we have some editors that are, that are based on more like audience groups or independent music. Um, but... The, we, do, we do have music listening meetings where we'll talk through like New Music Friday, and that's very much a collaborative effort. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, when you're doing a playlist and you're listening through music for a genre, the, the, the ones that are different really are like hip-hop and hip-hop, because we have several editors that work on hip-hop. Country, Claire Heineken and I work together on some of our flagship country playlists, and then... Um, trying to think of anything. Pop is another one where there's like a team that works on pop. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no time for that. I mean, there's a, the, those there's meetings. There's no are, time to debate. Or there's, the- there is no time to debate. We, I got to move. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. And do you, because oftentimes you hear like, you'll put something on a playlist and you'll see how it does here. You'll leave it for a couple of weeks and if it does great, it stays. If nobody listens to it, it moves. Is, the, is it easier to just sort of throw it out there and see how the audience responds and then react from there? So we actually have a whole system built up for this in every genre. So, for example, um, in country, we have our Fresh Finds Country playlist, which is really 100% independent artists. Juna and Joey just got added this week, which we're so excited about. Um, we have um, Next from Nashville, New Boots, Hot country, the breakout country. I mean, it's it's kind of a ladder, and and it all starts with New Music Friday country, which is our kind of like what's really coming out this week that's significant, um, and uh, and so we try and create an ecosystem. So we're not just kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall. We're really seeing like, okay, how does this track perform here, and has it earned a place in the next playlist? And every genre has has a space like that, and then we also have all genre spaces. Like we have a Fresh Finds playlist that covers all genres where we can really, you know, things that really feel like they might work in an all genre space, regardless of their genre, might go in a playlist like that to start testing it to see, is this a candidate for pop rising, you know? And sometimes it doesn't even matter what genre it is. I mean, we've definitely had some country tracks. Vipin's probably more familiar with some of those than I am, like country tracks that make it into into playlists like pop rising because they just perform really well. Um, Okay, wait, last question on this. When we're in the pitch tool, and when we type in, you can select city, so Nashville, and genre. 
Do you only get when we say Nashville, or do you also get no, no, genre? no, no, no? Okay, so this is, I'm, and I and I'm guessing how many folks here have used our pitch tool at Spotify? Okay, amazing. This is, you guys probably from just using it know how how to how to make it work for you. But I'll tell you, like, we we get the tags by genre, so there's genre, there's artist, like the size of the artist. We have a lot of things we can filter for. We can tag things for each other. I, mean, I can listen to a track and I'm like, oh, this might not be really great for my playlist, but I actually, there's another editor that might be re might really enjoy it, so we'll tag them in. Um, and it's it's really important that this is the focus of how we get music because it's it's impossible to navigate this through email to get music out to our global editorial team. But what, what you're talking about, Putting your hometown in the like city is helpful for us to know the context around the artist. Like, it's almost like identification. Like, where do you identify as being from as an artist or a band, right? That's what we want to know. We don't need to know that you're from Nashville in order to be qualified to be on a country playlist. Um, genre is really important that you that you really pick where you belong because things can grow outside of a genre. But if you're tagging something as pop that's really country, you're just creating noise that doesn't really help. The most important thing that you can do is put real information about the track that you're trying to get programmed in the pitch section. So, um, you know, sometimes people will include things like their, some, a little bit of their marketing plan. It's like, meh, that's not as important as like, what is this song about? Does it have a mood or a vibe to it that, that might be helpful for us to know about? Um, is it part of an album release plan? When is the album coming? Um, you know, it, did it get written up in a, in a publication that we might be able to go read about it? And, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, you know, this song's been featured in Rolling Stone or we've got, you know, we've got an album coming in two weeks. These little bits and pieces are really helpful for us. Um, even things like, this is a really sad song about a broken heart. Well, we have playlists that are just for songs like that. So the, those, those little notes are really, really helpful. I've always been told to include the marketing plan that you guys like to see that. Is that not true? Or I mean, not, it's it, not as, as there's not as big of an emphasis on it. It is in that like, if you're getting some press that you want us to know about what the album release schedule might be, like that kind of stuff. But like, we don't need to know if you're like buying ads. Like it really is like not It's so like, necessary. how's the song? Come on. Is it, yeah, it going to react really with our audience? We need to know, like we program songs. Right, every editor programs songs, and and what we need to know is what does the song mean, like what does the song mean to the artist? What does the what does the artist want the song to mean to the fan, and how can that help us maybe find some places for it that we maybe wouldn't have thought about on our own? How much you're spending on digital ads is not helpful. Great. Knowing that you that you have an album coming is helpful. That's helpful. Yeah. Got it. Okay, Charlene, you're managing a, a rising country artist right now. Yes, Harper Gray. Harper Gray. She's incredible. Check her out. Yes, please. How do you... On Spotify. How, yes. <laughs> how you. do you think about the playlist tool making her stand out, telling her story right now, and even though she's really special, and uh, I know, even though in such a crowd market, how do you think about telling her story, making her stand out, and getting the attention of Spotify and other DSPs? I think it's very interesting... Um, coming from two other genres telling her story in country because in Christian and gospel you tell the story one way in hip-hop you tell the story first of all in hip-hop how do you tell in, in Christian and gospel Christian and gospel well first you pray talk to Jesus that's first tithe with the 50 cents no, yeah um, <laughs> no you tell the story in Christian and gospel um 
very differently. It's very cyclical um, in terms of you really do go to churches and like that's that's your touring. Yeah. Right. So is the story tied in to the bigger genre, which is Christian and gospel? The story has to come back to that. Yes. Basically. Yes. Whereas in hip hop, you're telling the story faster. Right. Like you're putting out faster. (laughs) Yes. You're always telling a story. There's a constant story that you're putting out content every week. Sometimes, um, whether it's a single or an EP or an album followed up with a deluxe, followed up, you know what I mean? So it's a constant, a constant thing, and you may not be touring as much. Whereas in country, you're telling a story that's taking a little bit longer, but in different facets. So you are hitting up different ways, like you're going to the honky tonks on Broadway, you're actually telling a story through um, going to shows, songwriting, doing writer's rounds. Like there's so much more that you're doing in the live space in the country genre um, that is not necessary, necessarily the way that you would do it in the two other genres. So um, with Harper, what we're doing right now, and she's so multifaceted, for example, um, we just sold a movie to Hallmark that's coming out Christmas. Amazing. Check out for that. Possibly a second one. So she's actually telling stories where she's using her songwriting in a way where she's writing scripts um, and possibly acting. Hopefully we can get her in the film. So um, She wrote the script to the Hallmark movie? Yes. That sold? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, she wrote the movie. That's so cool. Yeah, she's, she's very multifaceted. Wow, okay. Yeah, which in country I have found... Um, because one of the things that came, you know, out of the pandemic, I had to pivot, um, is we learned we can't just tour and do music, right? We had to do something different. Like with Trippy, we did the, snow, the show on Snapchat. Um, we got into film and TV. In country, I've noticed um, it's really heavily focused on the music. And I'm like, well, God forbid, what if we go through this again? You, we can't just focus on music. We have to be multifaceted. So that was one of the things um, when I met with Harper that attracted, me as, attracted her to me as an artist um, is she is very multifaceted. So with her writing scripts, um, there's a podcast that we're working on. There's layers and levels because you have to be very multifaceted. And that helps tell the story too, right? Because you know what I'm going to do when the movie comes out. I'm going to try to put five, six songs in there for publishing rights and sync royalties. That's how you do it. Absolutely. Okay, every time you meet an artist, you personally, you ask them, why are they doing this? Or what's the question Absolutely. you ask them? Okay. Yeah, why do you, you want to do this? So Trippy gave you a good answer. Yes. What was his answer? It was like, I have so much to say, and I want to say it. Yeah. And it was about the he, art. He actually said, I have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. He said, I have a story what to tell. What did Harper tell. say? Harper said the same thing. She said, I have a story to tell. I've got this art in me that I want to get out. And I feel like I can impact lives with my story. And that was it. A lot of people that I meet, artists, I shouldn't say a lot, some, that I've met have said, oh, I just want to make money. And I say, well, then you should go to law school or you should go be a doctor because that's guaranteed money. In this game, in this industry, that, it's not guaranteed. You may not make it. I didn't know I was going to be successful and make it. You know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. But... It's about, I'm not doing it for the money. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to elevate those stories. I know that there are people out here that create amazing art, 
and I want to amplify that for them. That's why I got into it. How'd you get connected to Harper? Uh, through Cindy Mabe, the At first Universal. female CEO in country music. <laughs> so she says, there's a new artist, and you, I think you'd be a great fit, and then she puts you in touch. Yeah, and then is there knows- like a bias to sign her because Cindy puts you in touch? Like, like, do you feel uh, like this has got to no work? Comment. Don't say no comment. No. <laughs> Don't say no <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, so Vipin, when you're working with an artist, when it's all going right, and they're actually having a big playlist moment, and the DSPs are working for them, how do you capitalize on it? Is there anything you do to make the moment even bigger or to make sure it's hitting fans? And do you follow up with the curators and thank them and tag them on Instagram? What's the, how do you, how do you, you know, make the most of what's happening? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot that we do. Um, something we say a lot is that uh, playlist pitching or a playlist is not a marketing strategy at all. Um, playlisting is just one small part, or not, sorry, it's just one part. It's a big part, but it's one part. It's so easy when it happens. Of the, yeah, lean into it's, it? it's amazing. The... Like, we'd love for everything to go straight into today's top hits and call it a day, but that's not how it always <laughs> works. Um, no, I mean, so, you know, and pitching for playlists is a big part of the streaming ecosystem and country as well. But there's so many ways once we get added to a hot country or, uh, you know, today's country on Apple, whichever marquee playlist or even, you know, smaller playlists as well. There are a lot of ways that we'll capitalize on that from the label side or just the artist side. Um, one thing is social support, um, just kind of posting to fans saying, hey, you know, we, we just got this awesome playlist ad, go check it out, with the idea being hopefully hopefully fans go and, and listen to the song on the playlist and we can maybe get a little bit of a boost from that. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll put ad dollars towards um, saying, hey, like, we just got added to this playlist. Um, definitely, definitely go check it out. When you do that, mm-hmm. is that because you want to drive traction so people listen to the playlist and then the DSP mm-hmm. goes, oh, this is reacting well, so let's yeah. push it? Or do you do that because of the perceived, you know, idea that, oh, DSPs are liking this, so I should like it as a fan? Um, it's really more just to, to get the word out there to fans to just kind of say, hey, like, I'm on this streaming platform. Especially in country music, something that we're really focused on is getting fans over to streaming. Um, we're probably one of the fastest growing genres, country and Latin right now are the two fastest growing genres on streaming. So there's a lot of fans in the country space basically that are now transitioning mainly from terrestrial radio or like exclusively listening to terrestrial radio to now also streaming. So when we're posting on socials and things like that, it's really to be like, especially for more legacy artists or you know even an artist like a George Strait or someone like that, it's to say, hey, I am. I have all my catalog on streaming. Go check it out on Spotify or Apple. We just got this big playlist ad. While you're at it, go listen to it on that playlist as well. So it's really kind of meant to advertise that. But in terms of kind of boosting these playlist ads too, I think probably the, one of the biggest things we'll do on the label side is there's so many, and this applies to any artist, independent or signed, um, there's so many DIY tools on the on the DSP digital service provider side that we'll take advantage of. Um, so on Pandora, for example, they have a whole system called AMP, which is the artist marketing platform. Um, so we'll go into AMP and say, uh, you know, at, you know, we'll we'll do as much as we can to help boost the song. We'll feature the track in AMP, where it'll get kind of added to additional rotation on Pandora Radio. 
Um, we'll upload liners from the artist saying, hey, if you like the song, give it a thumbs up so we can um, get it higher in the Pandora algorithm. And that's just one platform at Apple. They have Apple Music for artists. And so we'll go in there and kind of see you know, where the song is really connecting, what playlists it's connecting on. Um, maybe there's a playlist that we're not on that we feel like we might be a good fit for. So we'll kind of take that data and go pitch for maybe that one other playlist that we're looking at. At Spotify, we have Spotify for artists that we're Can always you pull in. pull that move so. if you're an independent mm -hmm. artist? Uh, totally, yeah. I you think can pull the move of like, yeah. oh, there, we, there's data that I know this is reacting well, and then you can re-pitch yeah. it. To, yeah, absolutely. How do you do it? Do you have to email the curator directly? <laughs> or? Um, I, I mean, we try to limit emails, I would say, but it's you know, it's it's more um, when if you have that relationship, but also I think pitching your music, obviously through, through the pitch tool at Spotify, for example, but... Um, there, you know, there are a few different ways like that. But more, more than that, at Spotify, for example, you can go and see like where your song is connecting. You can add an artist pick to your profile. Um, if you get added to a cool playlist, you can make that your artist pick, um, or you can really boost your own artist playlist on Spotify through that. Um, so let's say you get a song added to Hot Country, for example. Maybe you you then make it the number one song on your artist playlist. Make that your artist pick and add the rest of your songs after that to that playlist, and so you're also boosting your catalog. So there are a few kind of strategies we'll employ when we get a big playlist ad to really make sure that we're helping that song, but also bringing attention back to an artist catalog, maybe um, other other songs they put out. Um, and then one thing in country too is to the point of you know we move pretty slow at radio um at hip-hop you know you might have a song that peaks in like three weeks at country we're usually working a single for about a year and so in that time you know we're really trying to like boost as much as we can so if you know the latest carrie underwood singles in hot country that's great but we also want to keep adding more music to the to the ecosystem for fans so that's something we'll do too is um the single's doing great we got this great playlist what's next like should we put out another song should we put out an ep should we put a remix out we'll kind of strategize around release plans as well in general are people sleeping on pandora or independent artists sleeping on Pandora? I Pandora is incredible, and especially for country. Country music is the biggest genre on that platform. So there's so many. What do you many. do? Like, how do you take advantage of it? Uh, so AMP is the is the really big one. Um, so the thing with Pandora is that it's a very algorithmic platform. So the majority of your streams are going to come from just the algorithm on the platform versus you know playlisting, which is what might be the case at other streaming partners. Um, and what's really great about Pandora is they offer so many tools for you to boost that yourself. Um, so you can upload. Liners are huge um, because you, you can really get fans. Artist? Yeah, anyone, oh, yeah. Any, anyone can do it. Yep, yeah, anyone, yeah. Um, any, anyone with music on the platform, you just have to have content on the platform, you can get access to it. So um, there are just so many tools like that where you can boost the music yourself on Pandora. And Country does super, super well. Um, I think the number two station i believe all genres today's country on pandora which is and i think they i mean it's it's they have a huge listenership so i think there's so much opportunity on pandora especially for country artists okay good tip um rachel shortly after you move it over to spotify you guys launched the indigo playlist which was a home for country artists who are like how would you describe the sound maybe a little left to center really authentic sounding very like Americana-ish. Like you sort of know what Indigo is. You, it's a feeling more than a, than a mood or a genre. Um, and then it feels like that space really led to artists like Zach Bryan have a, having a home in Spotify and being a part of his rise. What did you guys see that was missing? Like was there data you were, you were looking at? Was it just a feeling you had that this playlist needed to exist? 
How did that come together, and what has the impact of subgenre playlists like it been? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's you hit the nail on the head. What we were finding is that important new artists like Zach, who we knew were connecting with fans, were not coming into a space like New Boots and performing very well. And people weren't familiar with it. It sounded a little different. Um, I would put, um, you know, Margot Price, Morgan, Morgan Wade, um, there, you know, even even Casey in some ways, Casey Musgraves, where we needed a place where the fans of of that kind of like alt country sound Americana could really like dive in. Um, and I'll, I'll credit um, Laura Oles and Mary Catherine Kenny with the creation of Indigo, um, the name, just the, the kind of creating a brand that wasn't so genre based that it locked us out of it being able to be expansive with the music that we programmed. We could really just program it to what the people who discovered that playlist liked. Um, and then what it ended up happening, which I didn't expect as much, was that we were able to start programming artists like Zach Bryan as like a flagship artist in that playlist. And as he grew in popularity, then kind of graduate for him from that playlist into Hot Country. We did the same thing with Morgan Wade. It felt like um, less of a risk, honestly, to take Morgan and put her in Hot Country because we knew she'd done so well in Indigo. Um, and uh, we didn't have that before. We didn't have like a really kind of testing ground for music like that because our our newer music spaces were more mainstream focused. Um, and and yeah, it's been it's just been a huge boon for us. I mean, I think we can see s several artists that have come up um, recently. Zach and Morgan being probably the best examples um, of of people who have who have kind of found their footing in Indigo and then really kind of graduated into this really mainstream space. So. So when you're launching a new playlist, is there like, do you have the sense of like, okay, we should be launching this main new playlist every quarter or every year? Or is it more like we have this genre that's come to our attention, maybe there should be a playlist for it? Like how, do, how does the conversation happen when you decide to launch a new playlist? Yeah, so this is actually the, the, the core of the reason why it's so important to have human beings in these seats. Um, we get a lot of help from the computer. We have a lot of dashboards that we use for like search gaps, like when someone's searching for something and they don't land on something that they're looking for, we can see that. Um, what are the search terms that people are using by age group or different demographics? Um, then we also see, you know, what are some of the artists that are trending in some of our organic charts or in, in some of our charts that don't have a lot of editorial support and why is that? Right? A lot of our work is not to determine whether or not a song is good or bad. It's to see where it can live and find its its home and its fans for that artist to grow and then and then to say like, okay, what else do we need to support this? Um, and that and that really is is kind of a, of, of where indigo came from. Uh, we have a great example recently. We had a, a band called Poor Man's Poison. It's just like jam grass like stomp and holler just like fun festival music and we didn't have a great spot for it and so we created a playlist that's really focused on this like anti-folk folk punk called folk misfits carla Turi launched this just a few weeks ago and um it's it's the home for you know dead man south poor man's poison like all these amazing bands that like you know it's kind of jam grass but it's not like you don't want to pigeonhole it you know it's and it's bigger than that in a way so um Anyway, that's just just some examples. Of, so does Carla come to you and say, I think there's this subgenre that's bubbling. We need a home for it. And then do you guys talk about a playlist? 
And then how do you how do you come up with the names for these things? It seems yeah, yeah, so yeah. hard. It's very. I mean, these are very <laughs> creative jobs. So uh, these conversations can come both ways. I might see something that I feel like doesn't have enough editorial support and tell my team like, hey, we need to figure this out. Um, Carla might come, or any anyone on my team might come to me and say like, hey, we've we've got. Um, you know, I feel like we're missing something here, or I feel like we're connecting the music in this way, but we're not connecting with a with a younger listener, and maybe we need something with a different playlist name that feels a little fresher. Um, and so, yeah, they'll bring those to me. We have weekly meetings, and and then we pitch those through to the larger North American editorial team, and we approve them as a group. It's it's very like you know, then it's kind of part of the corporate cog, and and then uh, and then we see like, okay, is this space big and creative and and relevant enough to get a marketing plan alongside the launch of the playlist? Um, one of the examples we have right now, we relaunched our Alt Now playlist with new branding, and that's something we've been working on for you know almost a year. Um, getting that new branding together, figuring out what artists we want to really be the face of that playlist, and then pulling them in and getting them involved in kind of a relaunch um, to to better tell the story of like what alternative rock is today. Um, yeah. When I have you a question. Was, I'm sorry. I have a yeah, quick yeah, question yeah. for Rachel. Please, Starling. What is anti-folk? Um, it is so folk originally was a very kind of political centered kind of acoustic quiet, thoughtful genre, right? And it kind of came out of the, you know, it's there's this like um, Mesopotamia of music, right? Around like Appalachia and blues and, and, and uh, it kind of came, you know, and then, and then you have like the English, like, um, you know, Irish Celtic music. And, and so it kind of came out of this uh, amalgamation of that, but it was, it was very much a, the, the big folk music, originally in America was like very politically focused and protest music and things like that. So the the history of like anti-folk is this like, we just want to have fun. We want to make a lot of noise with like, with like acoustic instruments and jump around and like, we're not trying, you know, it's, it's, it's really more of like a lighthearted. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that some of those bands haven't now gone on to make, you know, more, uh, values-based songs or something like that. but Sounds like a great playlist, though. Sounds it's a, very it's fun. a great playlist. Wait, it's so, so much You fun. said that you were surprised that Zach Bryan could then go to some of the flagship playlists like Hot Country. Was that because the playlist was exposing him to an audience that was then growing the audience, and then it made more sense to go to Hot Country? Or was it you were seeing how well it was reacting from the people who were already listening, and that's what was surprising that brought it over to Hot Country? So we see we see this a lot in country, and I think it it happens in in some of the more mainstream commercial genres as well. Um, people need to be a little familiar with something before they'll like it. Like people say, they want new music, they want music discovery, but and they we don't. feed that. We definitely like that's our biggest focus at Spotify. But the reality is that you know they've done a research at radio where it's like someone needs to hear a song 5 to 7 times before they'll decide they like it and how do you how do you create opportunities for someone to discover something in a space where that's their expectation and that then you can bring that into a more mainstream space and then they're listening to a playlist that is full of you know songs that they in many cases already know and so that's where that route becomes really helpful because by the time we moved Zach into Hot Country, he was a very familiar artist to a lot of people. Makes sense. Okay, Charlene, you've been in the hip-hop space, country space, Christian music space. Should more artists collaborate with country artists? Should there be more features? Absolutely. How do you do that? Could Harper do that? Yes. How would she go about it? 
Well, I mean, I think... Should she do it? I think music now, to be fair, is becoming more genreless, right? Um, I do think that there are some genres that are still trying to hold it in a box. Um, but for the most part, I do think that music is becoming more genre genreless, and it's just about making good music. Um, and I mean, really, collaborations, the way you can go about it, I mean, there, there's a number of ways. The most popular way that actually is effective is just sliding in people's DMs. It really just works like that. Yeah. Sliding people's DMs, y'all. It, it does work. Creative to Not creator. my DMs. <laughs> Not Charlene's no, yeah. DMs. What's the best tip, though? Give us a quick tip on sliding someone's DM. What do you do? You establish credibility? Good I mean, pitch? I think How do you do it? Because in a professional here's way. Here's the thing. It, so, because a lot of times people put it on the label or the manager to, like, make the connection. We absolutely can do that. But creative to creative is way more effective. Like, reaching out artist to artist is, is going to get more stuff done because that artist wants to know that you actually want to work with them versus this is some suit wanting to make this play happen. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, it's just like, hey, I'm a fan of your music. I would love to collaborate with you or connect with you. Are you going to be in town for South By? Like, or, or going to their show and talking to them after their set. You know what I mean? Like, but it really is more effective artist to artist doing a collaboration. You craft those DMs with the artist, but then it comes from the artist's account. Are you involved in, in, in I, this? You know, I, I have coached. You've coached. <laughs> I've coached these DMs. Because you've said in podcasts that sometimes when you're trying to get something out of a label, the best way to get the label to respond is to have it come from the artist. Absolutely. So, like, what, what's an example of that? Or like, can you say, like, like how does that work? Um... Because, again, it is more impactful. And I, I will say this about several things. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I was in Christian and Gospel, um, I was a digital account manager, so I worked with the DSPs. And I, w I remember, you know, we had to pitch and, and pitch the marketing plan and the timeline and things like that. And I remember just being like, so I got this Kirk Franklin release. Do y'all just want to sit in the studio with Kirk Franklin and hear the album and, like, let him tell you about the release because he's going to be able to convey his heart behind the project better than me telling you these bullet points of what he said. And I noticed that when we got him in the room with people, our positioning and marketing with the DSPs was exponentially better because they wanted to go on this journey with him. Like, they felt that project, right? So then I was like, okay... I did that in Christian and Gospel, so when I went over to hip-hop, I was like, Trippy, we pulling up. We pulling up on Apple, we pulling up on Spotify, we're, let's go, because I'm sure hip-hop artists never do this. They don't sit and listen to the heart behind these projects. And um, so again, anytime an artist has a concern or wants to learn or know more of a process of like what Vipin was talking about with the label, I was like, well, then let's just go to the label and sit in the conference room and talk about it. And if this is what you want, you need to ask for this. Um, I think a lot of it is the education. We, as a manager, my job is not to tell an artist what to do, right? My job is to guide and direct and to give you the information. It's your career. 
you have to choose. So I educate a lot. And part of that is getting across the line what you want to do. And so that's why I would say, hey, it would be more effective if this came from you versus me going into the label, screaming and yelling, or, you know, I'm still going to be an advocate and I will always be the pit bull and you always will be the nice guy because that's my job. I'm bad cop. You're good cop. Um, but it is more effective if it comes from the artist a lot of the time. So it, it would be times that I would coach and say, this is what you need to say and this is how you need to convey it. Do you role play it? Um, not necessarily role play, but I would co- I would be like, so say this, this, and this. And then, you know, it, it, I mean, it works. It works. It definitely is effective. And, and like I said, even just getting things, because um, a lot of times no one hears the heart behind the why. Because people, a lot of times people say no because they don't understand the why. So tell them why. That's it. I have a, I have a question for this, Charlene. How, how much do you rely, I, I worked in management for, for a period of time, and like, how much did you rely on like kind of media training to put that story together? And how much do you just let the artist kind of run with it? I relied on everybody needs media training. I even would like some media training myself. Um, Only because there is a way to, for example, a lot of times artists get bored of repeating the same thing over and over. over And and it's the same questions from every... So the biggest thing that I've learned from media training that I tell artists, if you are starting to get bored, start asking the interviewer questions. Because it's a conversation. It doesn't have to be... I like that when people do that, actually. Because it's a conversation, right? It shouldn't be an interrogation. But a lot of times, artists feel like they're getting interrogated, and I have to ask, you're going to ask me about the album, you're going to ask me about this, you're going to ask me about... But media training allows you to think outside the box in a way that, like, we're having a conversation, and I don't feel like I'm getting interrogated about this project. But it's also allowing me to be real and be myself because I never want to restrict who you are as an artist either. I want you to share your heart behind the things, good, bad, and ugly sometimes because the ugly is why most of the times the creative is creative. Do you have anything you want to ask me? No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Vipin, when you're working with a legacy artist and you have to tell their story and make them stand out and pitch them to DSPs and have them in a competitive world of new music, how do you do it? How do you make them feel current? Yeah, um, there. I mean, there are a few ways that we'll do that. Um, one way is through collaborations. Um, I think collaborations help a lot. Brooks and Dunn, not one of my artists, but they. I was really impressed with what they did with that reboot album because they got all these amazing artists to redo some of their biggest hits, like that Neon Moon, Casey Musgraves version is absolutely incredible. So, and it brought so much, it brought this whole new audience of like this new generation. It brought Luke Combs fans and Casey Musgraves fans into the Brooks and Dunn universe. Um, So collaborations can be really helpful. Um, We've done that too, even with new music, not just catalog. Um, Dirk Smentley, for example, for one of his recent singles, we had Hardy and Breland on it. And Hardy is a very heavy streaming artist, has a huge streaming presence. So when we put Hardy on that song, what what ended up happening is we hit Hardy fans through a lot of different ways, whether it was on socials, through release radar, things like that. So um, not saying that collaborations are the end all be all, but it's definitely a big part of the conversation when we're 
trying to figure out how to bring uh, maybe like an older artist or a, a more legacy act into the streaming space or kind of like this this new ecosystem. So that's one way. Um, and then really um, bringing attention back to catalog is a big thing that we do a lot as well. Um, for example, at Apple Music right now, there's a big push for spatial audio um, and like kind of the Dolby Atmos um, aspect of music. And that's something that we're heavily working on. So for Shania Twain, for example, we put out all of her catalog now in Dolby Atmos. And through that, we got additional marketing support from Apple. And this isn't just a major label thing. Like this is really kind of just any artist with like a major catalog. That's a really great way to bring attention back to it right now. We're, we're working through George Strait. We're working through Eric Church. Like we've got a lot of catalog that we're working on getting into spatial audio. So um, that's another way to just, and that's one way to bring attention back to catalog there. We also, we run ad campaigns. Um, if there's a big anniversary moment, um, we'll do that. For Reba, recently we put out um, a, a re-release of one of her albums and we had Dolly Parton featured on one of the songs. So that became a moment. So it's really kind of trying to create as many moments as we can through catalog. Um, but that's kind of a big way. And then um, what something we'll do, so let's say George Strait hypothetically has like a new single coming out or something. Um, you know, obviously for George, someone like George Strait, a lot of his fans are really, really excited about his catalog. So we'll do something we'll call like a pre-warming campaign for the new music. So when we know we have music coming, we'll start feeding the catalog back to fans a little bit, um, whether it's through socials, um, it's a re-release, maybe a remix of something or an acoustic version, whatever it looks like. And then that'll lead into this new music that we have coming as well. Um, and for George Strait specifically, when we put out Honky Tonk Time Machine, which was his last album, um, we even went back to the Broken Spoke here and we did like a whole activation with this catalog with Spotify, actually, if I remember correctly. So um, that was just one way. Like there's so many ways like that, but really I think collaborations and then bringing attention back to catalog are, are two pretty solid strategies for Just for that. be interesting. Just um, be interesting, exactly. Okay, yeah. we're going to open up to questions in just a second. I think we're going to have time for like one or two. So come up to this microphone if you have a question. I did want to ask Rachel really quickly. There's been all these announcements about a new Spotify layout that's going to be better for Discovery. There's DJ. There's Smart Shuffle. 50% of all listening on Spotify, Spotify is saying, comes from algorithmic recommendations. What's the role of the human curator moving forward? Really quickly, and then we'll get to some questions. It's probably not a short answer, but yeah. if you can tell us. No, I'll, I'll, tr I'll try and keep it short, but I will say this is a really, really exciting time to be kind of a cultural expert within a system like this because um, the work that we do impacts all of those kind of alg algorithmic experiences. And then also, you know, we're, we're in the writer's room helping to write copy for what the, what the AI DJ is saying, you know? And then, and so, it, so it's like, although the voice is saying copy that's like kind of computer generated it's real information that we are writing every week going like what's going on in the music space and like what's exciting and 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 what what do we what do we want to tell our listeners about um right now so uh, i think that it just having real cultural experts inside the system to be able to identify those things and put them together in ways that people are interested in is just becomes even more critical makes sense Okay, we've got questions. We've got five minutes, so make it count. Let's go. I believe in you. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Mansoor. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Beethoven.ai. Uh, we, we are one of the pioneering companies in artificial intelligence for music generation. 
I just wanted to ask a quick question. You know, so there are we launched like six months back, and we have like 200,000 users, and we have been growing like really fast organically. And a lot of our users have been asking us this question: Can I use the music that I've generated from this tool as, and pitch as a on the playlist at Spotify? And honestly, we haven't been allowing them to do that right now because I'm also an artist. But I have a question for you: What is Spotify's opinion about this entire new space? Are you all open to this kind of an idea? Because what do you think will be the implications of this on on playlist? You know, pitching. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the the reality is that it's our jobs to identify the music that we think is culturally important every week, right? And so, who's making it? Why are they making it? What does what's the story behind it? You know, what has the artist told us about it in the pitch tool? What's happening with that artist outside in the in the wider ecosystem? Um, because that's what makes music relevant to fans. I don't think that means that 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 there might not be specific instances of some, someone creating AI-generated music, as long as they own the copyright to it, right, and they own the rights to it, um, that there might not be really creative ways to make music and upload it to all the streaming partners just like you would any release, and for that to have relevancy for a, a million different reasons, right? Maybe they've performed it at a big festival or maybe it's taken off as a sound on TikTok or maybe people just have found it really relaxing and so they're they're listening to it for study music or something like that. But um, and it all just comes back down to like, who's the creator? Why did they make this? What's the story? What are they trying to tell the fan? And, um, and then how are we able to be conduits to help make that happen versus like, again, is this good or bad or... Is it real or not real in, in a way? Okay, thank you. Hello, my name is Andrew. Thank you so much for doing this session. I found it really interesting. And especially what I found interesting is kind of the tension between like these lists of algorithms that you get all of the music from and the human aspect of it. So what I'm curious about, and this can be for anybody, is how do you know that somebody's got taste? What are you looking for when you have somebody on your team so that they can be the one to curate this playlist? And you know, what are kind of the hallmarks of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a still a very new space, and I've I've been lucky enough to hire some really great people in it. And and we're looking for a variety of things. We're looking for someone who really deeply understands the culture that they will be representing, and deeply understands how music listeners and fans in that, whether it's a genre or, or a demographic, are engaging with music. Then there is, like, do they understand how technology works? Are they going to be able to come into this environment and get the work done quickly, understand, um, you know, the, the pace of it? And, um, and then there is, um, you know, we are oftentimes in front of a lot of different kinds of folks in the music industry. We have to make sure that we, we're being careful with what we say and that and that we're that we're representing the company well. You know, you want to make sure um, that that you have those bases covered too. Um, but I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. My my latest the the latest person that came onto the team was Carla, Carla Tori, and we actually found her because, I mean, she applied for the position for a folk and acoustic editor. So we did find her because she applied. So if it's a job that you're interested in, please keep an eye on, I think it's spotify.jobs.com or spotifyjobs.com. It's very easy to, to find. Um, but she applied for the job, and she had a, a full-time position as a social media manager. Um, but then she had a profile that she built up called Carla's Infinite Playlist on TikTok, where she had over 4 million likes and like 40,000, 40 and 50,000 followers talking about folk music, right? Folk and acoustic and indie 
indie music. And so we talked to her and I was like, hey, this is like, you've made something really cool here. Are you sure you'd be interested in a job like this? And she said, this is the reason I did it, was to be able to interview for this job. That's, that's what we're looking for. Like, I mean, I feel really lucky that now there are enough people with this kind of experience that we can actually just like see if they know what they're doing by looking at their work. You know, it's pretty amazing. Pick yourself. Okay, last question. Will Tenney. We got time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. Make it quick. Hey, Zach, how are you? We're hey, overtime. Make it quick. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious to know, and you guys can give a quick 30-second answer. Uh, how do you guys feel about the relationship between streaming and radio right now? And just a little bit of context, because, you know, as they always have, radio claims they want to see sales and streaming uh, to be worked, something to be worked at radio. And I think at the highest level, streaming also wants to see, uh, you know, the big pop records at, at top 40 as well. What's interesting about that, in my opinion, is that they really have no correlation on each other. Something can be top 10 at adult contemporary and have less than 20,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Something can stream, you know, to two or three million monthly listeners on Spotify and not be anywhere on radio. So just curious to know uh, how you guys feel about that. And uh, I'll be sitting down right here. <laughs> Vipin, you should... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think in a country is really unique in this kind of like situation and relationship between radio and streaming. Um, I think in country music, um, radio is still a huge driver of discovery and listenership. Um, and when you talk to a country artist, especially a new country artist, even if they're like, you know, Gen Z, super young, having a radio number one is still a huge career goal and milestone for them. So I think for our genre specifically, radio is probably more important than in another genre like pop or hip hop. And I think the other thing too is when you get to a certain point on the country radio chart, like top 15, top 10, you do see that sp like impact streams. Um, like we'll see a pretty significant jump in streams when you're top 10, when you're top five, and then when, when you hit number one. Um, so there definitely is a little bit of a, uh, there, there's a correlation there between radio and streaming and country. Um, but being on the streaming team at a label, I will say, you know, streaming and country is a huge focus especially getting country fans over to streaming because there's such a market for it. Um, and so as important as radio is for our genre, um, something that we're really trying to do is figure out ways to get country fans to subscribe to streaming services and really listen to our music on streaming. Because the thing about country radio, again, is that it moves super slow. So you'll have one single at radio for a year, and that's not sustainable for anyone. Um, and so what, what we'll do, what my team will step in and try to do in the meantime is, okay, in that year we're working the single at radio, um, let's try to do as much as we can on the streaming space. Let's release an EP, let's put out remixes, collaborations, anything we can do um, to help this artist, because what we do on streaming is really develop artists, whereas radio tends to be very single-focused. So I think that it's, it's an interesting dynamic, especially in country, but I think it's changing, um, and it's all really positive. Um, but I think it's changing in that streaming and radio are starting to work more in tandem in our genre to help each other out and lift each other up, to just get our country fans to listen to great music. That's what the end goal is. So. I know All we're right. over time. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I got to say this because it's dropped in my spirit. As a manager for artists, do not make music that you're gearing it towards radio or gearing it towards being on playlists. Go in that booth and make dope fucking art. Like, go in there and make a dope song. Good Don't note to end on. That. Rachel Whitney, Charlene Bryant, Vipin' Ready, thanks for being here. Oh, Zach, thanks, thank thanks you. Thanks for coming you're out. Crushing it as a moderator. We'll see you guys next time. Be safe.